Keys love means pocket of the heart. Keys is pocket and love means heart. You know, I look at I look at sort of themes and um, guiding lights from the month, not just from the holidays, and Hanukkah happens to be starting in Keys love and ending in Tevet. It's starting at the darkest time of the year. We see this encouragement with Hanukkah to have light and lean towards miracles and looking for them and finding them and being part of them during this time of darkness when some of us may feel seasonally depressed that it's asking us to both place things in our heart and also find things that you know we can kind of hold in our heart close to us welcome to purple honey a gathering of female voices where we explore how Jewish wisdom and feminine spirituality can bring sweetness to our everyday lives. I am your host, Jody Bayless. Today we continue our Hanukkah conversation. We will explore what Hanukkah can teach us about taking care of ourselves throughout the darkest, coldest time of the year and offer self-care practices that we can infuse into Hanukkah both individually for ourselves and collectively. I speak with three amazing Jewish women, Rabbi Sarah Tassman, founder and CEO of the Tassman Center for Jewish Creativity, Sarah Waxman, founder of At The Well, and Pleasant Slicky, founder of Lil Ohm. First, I talk with Rabbi Sarah Tassman. Rabbi Sarah is a spiritual leader, coach, teacher, and mentor to other Jewish spiritual leaders. She works one-on-one and in groups to help others connect to their Judaism in a way that is personal and meaningful. I talk with Rabbi Sarah about how Hanukkah can reframe our relationship to darkness and to winter, and she offers insights into where Hanukkah falls in the lunar cycle. One of the things that I love to think about is um, what Hebrew words mean and what the essence of that word means both in its historical context, but also in a more spiritual, personal, modern-day context. So the name of this holiday, Hanukkah, means dedication, and it's used to reference the rededication of the temple after it was destroyed um, and the lighting of the Hanukkah menorah as a way to rededicate the temple. Fast forward, 25 years to mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. Um, where I'm not necessarily thinking about rededicating the temple as I light the Hanukkah candles but I'm thinking about how am I using this ritual of lighting the candles for another kind of rededication and for me it's rededication to my own spiritual practice and my own self-care and for me self-care is a spiritual practice mm-hmm. So for me, Hanukkah, as a rededication practice or ritual, is really about thinking back to Rosh Hashanah. What were the intentions that I set three months ago for this year? Mm -hmm. How do I want to rededicate myself to those intentions that I set? Um, And it's also an invitation to think about setting intentions for the winter. And how am I going to use ritual and spiritual practice um, through this time of cold and darkness. I, I love this notion of, I was, before I, our conversation, I was thinking about Hanukkah in placement um, in the year, in the solar year and the lunar year. Yeah. And it's in, it sits in such an interesting part of time. Yes. 
And, um, and I love how you, it feels so anchoring to hear you say, thinking for, for you, thinking back to what you committed to in the Jewish New Year, um, which wasn't that long ago, but feels like ages ago. Yes. So that feels like a drawing in um, and like a, a rededication, um, mm-hmm. a, a reassessment, uh, um, whatever, um, regrouping, reconnecting. And then, as you so put it, in, in deepening in it, deepening into the darkness, into this winter season, it helps shine that light in a time when we all know the January and Februarys. That just how sort of time feels like it sinks a little bit, um, and so it just feels to me like that's a light yeah. that you're setting. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's not a coincidence that Hanukkah falls when it does, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. I think that it was set at this time Mm -hmm. because a lot of other festivals of light in other cultures around the world also happen at this time of year. Mm -hmm. And so Hanukkah is not a, it's not a biblical holiday or an agricultural holiday Mm -hmm. that has to, um, happen at a certain season in line with the agricultural festivals, the way that other Jewish holidays, you know, Passover has to be in the springtime, the Jewish high holy days and Sukkot have to be in the fall. It's not um, anchored by the solar cycle, the agricultural cycle in that way, but I think that um, it is anchored in connection with the lunar calendar. Um, because it, Hanukkah always falls on the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev, which is at the time when the moon is waning. Mm-hmm. And it's waning toward the next new moon, which is the next uh, Rosh Chodesh, the next celebration of the new moon. And so Hanukkah is the only holiday that spans two months. I know this was something that we were thinking about talking about for this conversation, um, but Hanukkah is the only holiday that spans two months, and I think it's really powerful that when we start lighting the Hanukkah candles, we start lighting them mm-hmm. as the moon is waning. Mm. Oh man! Yeah. And it and the new moon that comes that month is the new moon closest to the winter solstice before. You know, it's the closest um, new moon preceding the winter solstice. So there's all these things happening um, with the moon cycle and the seasons, at least in the northern hemisphere. In the southern hemisphere, it's summertime, which kind of blows my mind to think about lighting the candles, increasing the light as almost a summer solstice practice. But I'd be curious to talk to some Australian Jews. I know, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's really powerful. And as you were thinking, as you were talking about the power of that relationship between light and darkness, it's really powerful to me, the symbolism in increasing the candles, adding a candle each night as we go up in holiness, which is why we light why we add a candle each night to increase the light and that happens as the moon is waning as the nights are getting darker as the nights are getting longer until 
the new moon, which is actually an invisible moon, when the night is completely dark, and that light carries us through, through the new moon, for the light to come back as the new moon grows in the night sky. I just, that adds a whole other layer for me, because as, as you were saying, we add a light each night. Thank you, Hillel, for, yes. for, yes. <laughs> and, and that practice alone is, you know, you can hold that and say the light is increasing to hear you say this is, there's a lot of moving parts yeah. here. Yeah. And, and it, that actually makes, and so to hear that we're increasing this light at the time the moon is decreasing in light, um, yet to emerge again as a little sliver, that adds another layer. Uh, and it just in sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, that just feels more, I feel more um, expansive even saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And something else that I was thinking related to your question about light and darkness, um, darkness is usually something in the past I've wanted to um, get rid of or push away. And last year at Hanukkah, Hanukkah and winter solstice um, were closer together last year. Yeah. And so I started thinking about this last year as the darkness rather than something I wanted to push away or get rid of, but seeing the darkness as an opportunity, as spaciousness, as a place for renewal as an empty vessel of potential and my practice of celebrating the new moon really helped me think about that because the new moon is an empty dark moon and it's a symbol of potential of what's to come and how precious it is to have that space to set intentions for the month to come or set intentions for the season to come. Mm-hmm. So just having that space and that darkness is actually, I'm trying to see it now as a gift. Next, I talk with Pleasance Licky, founder of Little Ohm. Pleasance wholeheartedly coaches and supports women to thrive from a place of empowerment. In our conversation, Pleasance shares supportive self-care tips that draws from Ayurveda, a traditional healing art with roots in India. Literally translated as the science of life, Ayurveda approaches health and wellness as a balance between mind, body, and spirit and our own environment. So yeah. Hanukkah this week, this year is, um, well, as I'm reading more, I'm learning that um, moon time, yeah. it, it falls over um, um the the dark moon the the waning of the moon and goes to the the new moon mm-hmm. um which which i find very there's some mystery there mm-hmm. um and to the season what um into the hanukkah season the dark the cold mm-hmm. the windy as you were saying what are some from your ayurvedic perspective mm-hmm. what are some self-care practices that mm-hmm. we might be able to implement in, in, in inject into Hanukkah yeah. to make it feel a little more grounded and cozy and whatever. So I mean. things that it would be intuitively like nothing in Ayurveda, I feel like for the most part is like, Oh, I never thought of that before. It's all like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. So if it's cold and dry, you know, rubbing your feet with oils, doing your Abhyanga, which is your self massage every day with, um, or as best as you can, 80, 20, 80, 20, right. Um, on your arms, on your belly, um, those warm baths, 
baths are going to be really important. Drinking warm water, not having lots of cold, not having ice or ice cream in the season. This is not the season for that. Um, having those warm broths is going to be really important for Vata. Making sure that you keep food, that you have nourishment in your body is really important for Vata. One of the things that Vata energy does is forget to eat and even think about those shopping days when like everybody's at the mall and they're running around and they're moving and it's doing, doing and buying all these gifts. Like from an Ayurvedic perspective, all of that is against nature and against the harmony of this season, which is stay home, light your candles, right? This is going to show up in every wisdom tradition, home, candles, connection, warmth. And so when you pull back from that a little bit and zoom out enough to see what are the real qualities and principles of this season and how can I bring that more in my life, like for our daily life, and we say no to a lot of the parties, um, not because we don't love the people who invite us, not because we don't you know, love the idea of connection, but we have to be strategic about it. And mm-hmm. we can't do it to drain out in the season that's inviting us to stay home mm-hmm. <laughs> and rest and have your inner life, do your inner practices, your creative practices, writing, art at home. Mm-hmm. Um, the other practice that I would say from an Ayurvedic perspective perspective that's very important is to walk in nature every season. And so a lot of people will say to me, but it's too cold. And I say, bundle up. Like in an Ayurvedic perspective, you still want to be walking every season, every season in nature, in nature, just, you have to wear more layers. You I know? remember, gosh, it was years ago, but I went to Colorado around Hanukkah time actually. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, everybody's outside, even though it's cold. I'm yeah. like, okay, yes. this is, yeah. you just wear more clothing. Yeah. And yeah. And it's invigorating. Yeah. Right. And it's again, lifestyle. So if your lifestyle is connected to nature, you're not going to lose your connection to nature. And I would actually say one of the things I've noticed as I've leaned more into seasonal living over the past five years, just changing my whole life around it is that I actually spend more intentional time alone in nature between October and March than I do between March and September because, or uh, April and September, because April through September, I'm outside all the time because of lifestyle. Mm. So I don't need to then also set a number of walking in nature dates Mm. for myself because we're at the pool, we're outside, we're walking everywhere. But once it turns and that lifestyle goes inward, that means, oh, I have to change my seasonal practice now to make sure that I'm moving in nature because I'm not as much as I was those last seasons. So a Hanukkah hike. Hanukkah hike, um, dark hikes, yeah, as much Mm. as possible. I mean, how cool would it be to do a little Hanukkah hike you know, daily or every other day or even 10 minutes or 15 minutes with your family going around the block, light the lights and then go for a walk or go for a walk and light the lights. Like, I love it. I and love that idea. And it's almost like, because you have these eight days, yeah. it's, you know, perhaps that could even kick you into it's, it's, it's a ritual in itself yeah. Yeah. and get yourself going into those practices, whether it's the oils or however yeah. you would ever connect with more nature, more warmth. Yeah inside time, writing time, Hanukkah journal, whatever it is. Yeah, right. And then that perhaps could carry you through yeah. through the winter, yeah. darker months. And also what I'm hearing you say is that your Rosh Chodesh, your new moon practice, has helped, in, am I yeah. in line yeah. in saying yeah. that it's sort of helped inform how yeah. you connect to Hanukkah, yes. given that this falls yes. in Rosh Chodesh? Yes. Which to me feels like a double whammy, which I oh, yeah. never knew existed. Yeah. So. 
So for me, um, one of my favorite things um, is about how the Jewish year cycle and the moon cycle complement each other. So each Hebrew month has different themes and attributes and areas of focus um, and areas of healing according to Jewish wisdom and according to Jewish um, feminine spiritual traditions. So once I um, started cultivating a practice of learning about and celebrating Rosh Chodesh, I was really able to see how um, the themes of that month are mirrored in the holidays and the seasons that are happening as well. So for Hanukkah, Hanukkah falls at the end of the Hebrew month of Kislev, as we talked about, and Kislev is a month that uh, the themes are sleep and dreams, and the healing of sleep and um, and the healing of dreams, and not only dreams that happen at night, when the nights are longer and darker, but also the dreams that happen when we're awake. Mm. So in a way, Hanukkah is a way to like really illuminate our dreams. Can you say more about the dreams that happen when we're awake? Yes. I will also add that um, every Torah portion that falls during the Hebrew month of Kislev has dreams in it. And so that's another way that the Hebrew month and the year cycle are in sync, uh, which I love. That also blows my mind. In terms of the dreams that happen while we're awake, so... You know, the dreams that happen at night, can there's a lot of theories about dreams in Jewish tradition. We could have a whole other podcast about mm-hmm. dreams in Jewish tradition. <laughs> um, but the dreams that happen while we're awake are really about the visions that we have for ourselves. Mm-hmm. The dreams of um, the things that we want to bring to fruition in our work or in our spiritual practice or in our lives or in our families. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about dreams in that way is really mm-hmm. powerful. It's almost like Hanukkah can be a time, like you said, it's, it's, it's eight days, and there's a lot of time to play in Hanukkah. Yeah. It's almost like it could be a vision boarding. Oh, yeah. Opportunity. Uh-huh. My next guest is Sarah Waxman, founder of At The Well, a nonprofit organization promoting the ritual gathering of women at the new moon and the wisdom that comes from the Jewish yearly cycle as a foundation to health and wellness. I want to just take a step back and just kind of frame this around also around your organization at the well, which is um, uh, a nonprofit organization, a women where women's health and wellness sort of converge with Jewish spirituality and you and at the well really um, takes the the new moon celebration, this gathering of women at the new moon time as like the communal ritual. And then what you do so beautifully is you just surround it and infuse it with all of this wisdom through uh, through your moon, uh, the moon manuals. And, um, and these moon manuals, uh, I was just reading through some of them the other day was the one around the, around the Hanukkah time and just including anything from the women that we may see around, uh, in the month, whether it's biblically or, th- or the, who pop up in a holiday, um, the, the themes, the, the f- food that we might, um, that we might connect to further, um, through the month. So all of that, I just want to just take that step back and say um the framework by which um the that that at the well works around is such a beautiful way to bring all of this together 
women coming together and talking about these themes is very powerful. And I know that there's a lot of meaningful conversations and connections happening. Um, yes. There's can I, I know I know of a circle that did like a cool candle lighting ceremony where they like dedicated a candle to another matriarch or woman in their life that was interesting and they kind of did that together one night when they when they made their candles with their Rosh Chodesh circle. You know I think it is cool that Hanukkah and Rosh Chodesh coincide and um, so that will happen. But it's actually Rosh Chodesh Tevet that happens over Hanukkah. What is Tevet about? Um, there's uh, a lot, but there's a um, there's like some anger stuff that comes up. Not necessarily that you're gonna be angry, but that anger might show yeah. up. Uh, I think that with awareness, then we have all our power and choice to respond to ourselves. Right? That's a mindfulness view of awareness practice. Mm-hmm. Judaism is an awareness practice. It's saying this is Keith's love. Next month is going to be this, and the month after that is going to be planting. So let's prepare for it and. That's a great reason to have a well circle is to have a group of people who are there doing this with you and recognizing the calendar and also committed to personal growth together. Um, again, it's not surprising to me that it goes from this light and faith to a little bit of anger. Um, it's actually really interesting, especially if you understand the way that I was saying before that Hanukkah is actually kind of a story about the Jewish people fighting with each other and then being sort of taken advantage of by neighbors who wanted to, you know, colonize and us sort of persisting in the last moment together in some way mm-hmm. um, in the context of today and really being divided people. Again, very cool that we can learn about this. We can have anger. I think that there's a lot of anger going on in the world right now. Um, so this is a month that's asking us to talk about it together. Um, whereas like this, whereas the, you know, the, the, um, the summertime we have destruction, which is mostly sadness and grief. And then the holiday tuba of, of love was placed there on purpose to, to help us. Mm. And this is the reverse. And so it's a different emotion. Anger is an interesting emotion. It's anger is actually an emotion, um, that ha- you're, you're feeling a lot of different things and you're not really able to suss out exactly what you're feeling, and so we just call it anger. Um, so cool, we have them up. They have spiritual practice that's asking us to be like, Wait, what, am I, what are all these things that I'm feeling? Why am I, like, acting slightly? Yeah, yeah, and what I'm hearing you say is that you, the month and the at-the-well gatherings, the women's gatherings, are sort of a container to help to, um, and as you said, a mindfulness part of a mindfulness practice as well as as the anger comes up as it naturally would in the cycle that that in this part of the cycle, we're carried through in a supportive, nourishing way, which allows us to grow. Hence the the seed planting portion of the next in the in two moons. Everything in Judaism is nourishing and supportive, but it's also hard and pushing us to grow. Mm this is definitely happening this time. We do not, we do not, like, it is hard to um, be an active practicing Jewish person. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a reflection of actual life. Um, The good news about Judaism and the brilliance, I think, about it is that it really inspires us to 
be leaning towards light and, and joy and to do that together in actual places of belonging or community or places that you participate in building. And, and so Hanukkah is a great example of that. Beautiful. So a lot of times um, people will ask me, like, what inspires me? And I'll be like, okay, here's the nerdy rabbi Jewish answer, um, which I embrace. Um, so there is a story in the Torah about uh, when the Israelites were in the desert and they were building the Mishkan, the tabernacle or sanctuary in the desert. And Moses deputizes uh, another leader, Bitzalel, who was an artist and architect, um, to really put this project together and bring it to fruition. And so Bitzalel became um, a really inspirational um, type of Jewish leader for me because um, A, that leadership style really embraced the creative practice, um, but the other element of it is what made the project successful of building the Mishkan, of building the tabernacle, was that every single person contributed from their own unique personal creative talents. And the phrase, the Hebrew phrase that the Torah uses to describe that is chokmat halev which literally is wisdom of the heart. And so the Torah says that B'Tzalel was endowed with chokmat halev and really inspired every person to um, give willingly of their own chokmat halev to this project. Um, so for me, Jewish creativity goes all the way back to that endeavor of inspiring and encouraging and nurturing each person to give of their own unique creative talent. There is that, that set of memories that many of us have around the mm -hmm. latkes and the family yeah. and the act of lighting. And because Hanukkah is, is uh, rooted so much in custom, mm -hmm feels like there's just a lot of space to make it creative. Yeah. A lot of the people that I work with come to Judaism as an adult, um, either because they are choosing Judaism or converting to Judaism as an adult, or um, they themselves are not Jewish, but they're partnered to someone who's Jewish or, you know, being ad adopted into their partner's Jewish family. And so for, the, for people who didn't grow up with you know, some of the memories that um, that I had growing up of doing Hanukkah as a kid with my family and my grandparents, um, letting Hanukkah be a personal spiritual practice is a way in for people who, who didn't grow up with some of those familial, um, cultural Hanukkah traditions, um, which, you know, not everybody who celebrates Hanukkah grew up with. So it's a nice way um, to let Hanukkah be something personal, to be a way in. Um, mm -hmm. And even if you did grow up with those traditions, thinking about Hanukkah as a spiritual practice is a way to enhance and deepen your own spirituality and experience mm -hmm. of Hanukkah. Yeah, that's wonderful. 
and, yeah, and I mean, there, um, I mean, and and outside of Hanukkah, there's just, I mean, there's like liturgy and holiday, and all, all, there's so much structure. Yes. And um, you know, as you were talking about with creativity, it, it feels it does feel like the evolution of of um, the evolution of where we might be going. Um, is will be more based on will be informed by all of the learning and all the structure and incorporate and integrate these creative practices that you are that you're integrating absolutely as a way to complement mm-hmm. um, you know and those practices can complement each other the gathering of women as you said is so healing and I'm curious just in your personal life how has the gathering of women been healing for you I mean, I think that there are major mental health implications to the ritual of um, people coming together, all people of all bodies and genders coming together in places of belonging in real community where we participate in building it. I think there's actually an an elevated um, neuroscience um, backed potential. Like I think that I think that um, the neuroscience of female friendship indicates, that there may be some actual um, hormonal and mental health implications of females coming together. And it's no surprising to me that that is also reflected in in this tradition happening across many cultures of people who are indigenous or or land-based practices, that there is some sort of gathering on new moon or monthly that happens for, um, you know, Traditionally, I think they would say women, but I, I'm going to push us further to say females. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I live my entire life. I'm, I'm, I wake up every day um, feeling motivated to push this ritual forward into the world and to inspire people to take this action uh, because I believe that in 10 years, the neuroscience will have caught up with our ritual. And we'd be able to understand the ritual from a scientific perspective, which is really needed, I think, today in 5779, 2018 in America. For me, I discovered this ritual way too late. I immediately started feeling better. um, And I was sort of shocked by that Mm. and started digging more about it and realized that, oh, wow, like there is actually some sort of hormonal thing happening for me by just being in this type of space and also it's a ritual that has really never been supported in any sort of significant way um before at the well existed there were only four books on rosh Chodesh in english ever wow and now that we're three years old you can probably already start seeing and feeling in your own practice and just conversations with people that you're having that there's more and more and more and more people talking about it and that's awesome. That's the cultural change that we want to see in the world. And uh, because this organization exists, what else can exist? Yes. Perhaps this podcast, perhaps the conversations you're having with the women that are on this podcast, and that we can be, you know, moving forward and being an engine that's helping that happen. Yes. I, yes. So that's, that's sort of like my, without going too much into it at the well, there's, we have a lot of resources. There's a lot that I've written and, recorded about my experience with Rosh Kodesh and I encourage everyone to go on our website and check out. 
Absolutely. Um, that's sort of my manifesto of this ritual. Absolutely. And we will definitely put the link to At The Well um, on, on the website too. And, um, and I just want to, yeah, really share my gratitude for the, your work for At The Well. Um, I am part of a, a well circle and it, it, I know. I love that. Tell me how it's, how it's impacted you. It is. I mean, I was thinking about this before our conversation. It's really changed my life. I'm not even exaggerating. It has changed my life. Yeah. Um, and I imagine in, I, I just, in, in, in my own reflection, um, the women in my circle, we all bring out the best in one another. And it's, it's really share. It's really why I'm doing this podcast because I want, I want to, I, I, um, because, um, I'm so excited to hold and facilitate and just to hold Jewish women's wisdom and see what can we, you know, continue to create, as you were saying, and continue to push forth as we can, as we uncover our own wisdom and like the power behind that. Um, so yeah, being part of a circle has, has, um, has really like given me the confidence to do that. Um, and I know you and I in the past have talked about like just women's leadership. And I, I feel like it speaks to that in, in leading in, in the shared responsibilities of facilitating a circle. There's so much power I think that can come from the individual. Um, I could go on and on too. So I, I definitely want <laughs> Amen. See, you much better to hear it from your voice. Uh, I could say all those things, you know, forever. I talk about them endlessly all day for the past four years of my life, but, um, it's powerful when people say it back, I think. And yeah, it changed my life. It changed my life so much that I decided to work towards it for helping other people have it in their life too. It's very, very, very powerful. It's very needed. It's very timely. I think the only thing that I would say, like I, just to amplify what you said about rotating leadership and different ways of, of women and women females being uplifting each other. It's a radically different model than the way that I was taught by society to be in relationship with other women. Yes. Instead (laughs) of, um, you know, being, uh, trying to one up each other or being jealous of each other or being afraid of each other or being catty or mean that I think is really, um, perpetuates the way that at least I was raised as a, as a woman and a female, this is actually saying, a totally different thing and that it's it's very natural to do that and once it's reframed and re and practiced um, I, I bring it into my life and all the things I, I, I want it, it is it is um, the success of this podcast is the success of at the well is a success of a hundred more circles in the world they're all totally connected to each other and we're all totally working towards that together and the well the well circle Rosh Chodesh all of these things are are pushing us to do that the actual gathering I think has major health implications for us and then has a way of us practicing all the things that we want to see in the life from leadership to finding our voice to using our spirituality as a as a practice to having um, personal growth in community and etc so I love hearing what you're saying and it's that's exactly what I believe. So right, right on. on to you too, sister. Seriously. Um and I and just one last sort of science piece too is um yeah, I what you said is exactly my experience of oh, I don't feel like I there there doesn't have to be competition and fighting and upping and all that stuff. I want 
your I want your work amplified and I want all of the women in my well circle work amplified. And what that does to my brain, I know, is I feel like 50% more energy. And I think it's because I'm not in fight or flight. Yep. And I can't wait till as a people, we can um, organize this way, feel connected through shared values, take data and measurements of this and propose it to a lot of the neuroscientists who were born Jewish, who helped you know, secular versions of Theravada Buddhism enter the world because we're able to say that mindfulness strengthens our prefrontal cortex, yeah. never having to say that it has anything to do with um, ancient spiritual tradition. And we could actually, as Jewish women on the planet, remember this ritual of Rosh Chodesh, practice it, let Athwell help you come be part of this movement that feels connected towards it, um, and then study ourselves to change science and change the world. And I believe that we can actually shift, um, you know, women's mental, emotional, and physical health because of our Judaism and nourish our souls at the same time. There is so much in these conversations about how Hanukkah can help us take care of ourselves. And so, some sweet notes. Sweet note one. Hanukkah is really dark. As we learned from Rabbi Sarah, during Hanukkah, the moon wanes, disappears into darkness, and then in the final days of Hanukkah, emerges as a sliver of light. This progression and submerging into darkness I never knew was there, although it can be felt. And Rabbi Sarah helped to reframe this darkness as expansive and as something that we can sit with. Sweet note two. Hanukkah invites us to take care of ourselves. What if the Chochmat Halev, our own unique imprint, our own unique gifts, the part of us that wants to create and ultimately to contribute, what if our Chochmat Lev is what we connect to and nurture during Hanukkah? Sweet note number three, gatherings can be healing. As the only holiday that spans over two months, Hanukkah gifts us with the opportunity to celebrate a new moon and perhaps do so in a supportive circle of women. Four, our last sweet note, which we'll listen to in a minute, is a chat with Pleasance about essential oils in the winter, which is a self-care spin-off to the celebration of oil during Hanukkah. Thank you to my guests, Rabbi Sarah Tasman, Sarah Waxman, and Pleasant Slicky. You can find them on my website, www.redlentilconsulting.com. A huge thank you to Ethan Bayless, composer, sound engineer, and co-producer. Also, check out something I'm trying out on my own, Eight Bites and Eight Nights, a meditation on taste where food links us to Hanukkah themes and stories. Our next episode, which will air in January of 2019, will be about birthdays and what Jewish wisdom and the planting of seeds can teach us as we grow older. Until next time, I'm Jody Bayless, and this is Purple Honey.
with Hanukkah falling um, near solstice time, yeah, and in a dark time, mm-hmm. I. What are your thoughts on some um, oils that we can in- integrate that mm-hmm. might support the season, that might potentially have a resonance that can connect us even further yeah. to Hanukkah? So I think it's this is such a wonderful question and there's going to be obviously like no one or right answer because we have such a strong our emotional connection to smell is so deep and um, can be triggering in ways we don't even know so when I have clients who come in like frankincense is a um, in essential oils there's a handful of oils that are kind of like the in high regard shall we say and it's because those specific oils which is rose frankincense and lavender uh, especially um have therapeutic qualities that are for healing and they also have emotional healing qualities so they always say like if you're going to go to a desert island and you could only take one take one that's that can deal with both any illness that you come across and then also your emotional balance and set point so those tend to be lavender frankincense and rose Rarely do I meet someone who has a aversion to sandalwood. Almost all of us fall over like sensual, spiritual. We just like, oh, it's so delicious. And so I say move towards those smells that really do help you feel that way because then you're going to be so much more likely to use them. Hmm. And what we know now from the wellness perspective of um, neural networks and joy and making healthy habits for ourselves is that the more we love to do something or we love it, the more we're going to do it. So identify what are the smells that make us feel more whole and connected and bring more of that into our life because we're more likely to use it. Um, Just from a basic perspective, some things I feel like are really good to know is that when you're talking about citrus oils, grapefruit, lemon, wild orange, um, clementine, tangerine, those, think about the fruits and think about that they're high up usually and that you're taking them down. They're going to be uplifting, they're going to be a little bit more energizing. When you're thinking about oils and you're thinking about um, frankincense as a resin, so it doesn't quite fit into the same category, but when you're thinking about cedarwood or sandalwood or vetiver, you're talking about a totally different part of the plant that's so much more grounded and rooted. Mm. So use the properties of the plants in nature to help you pick um, oils to diffuse or to just smell or to have around, mm-hmm. um, that bring what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, Which is so cool um, to know. Cause then the more, like I'm always investigating plants. I'm always looking up like, Oh, this clary sage. Wow. This smells, this makes me feel like I want to cry, but I'm whole, but I'm healed. Like all of the feelings. And then I look up the plant and I look at it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I'm like, no wonder you're so beautiful, Clary Sage. Like, of course you make me feel all the feels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? 